Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Let's share a word of prayer. Precious God, we just come before you. We come to receive instruction. We come to receive wisdom, knowledge, and revelation, insight. We demand, Lord, that you open up unto us your intent, your purposes, that we may stand strong on the face of the earth as trees of righteousness to manifest your glory and your presence wherever we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. All right. So, we continue with our study on the third heaven, like I said, part number three. And then uh, I just hope that you are following and uh, you are receiving wisdom and understanding that will enable you to look into the perfect world of liberty and there you get inspiration as you study the world. Hallelujah. Um, our test again is 2 Corinthians 12, reading from verse number 1. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, without of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such a one cut up to the third heaven. Amen. Yeah, just jump to verse 4. How that he was cut up into paradise, I read verse 2, I'm going to verse 4, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to alter. Amen. And so last week we were trying to discuss, uh, I remember we ended up with the issue of the Father's house. Can you remember that? Yeah. Well, we made it clear from scriptures in Hebrew chapter 3 and verse number 6 that the church is the Father's house. We also did emphasize that from the book of First Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 where it is also boldly declared that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And that is the Father's house. So we said all of that last week and so we're going to make progress a little bit. Um, yeah. So in John chapter 14 verse, because today what I really want to deal with is the the first heaven of God. But I want to give a background foundation for us to get to that. Uh, so John 14, verse 2, the A part, uh, what do you find there? Okay, in my father's house are many mansions. If it would have not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And this is one of the things, like I said, as we know here, has been so much of a confusion to the body of Christ. And I try to learn the background to this. You can jump to John 14 and get the mind of Jesus when he was talking. If you really want to find out the mind of Jesus, what he was talking about, what he intended the disciples to understand, then you must go back to John 13. Uh, so the background again is because they were having this uh, the Last Supper, and then he said he was going to be betrayed, and their heart was disturbed, they were worried. And so he was trying to encourage them to let them know that they are not going to be the only one that will be in the church. And so the first thing he told them was, let not your heart be troubled. 
By implication, you are not going to be alone. Other people are going to come to join you up in this church. And so he said, in my father's house are many mansions. And so we made that to understand, I mean, from scriptures that what he was promising them was that you are going to be uh, a room where the father would dwell in by the time I go to the cross and the Holy Spirit comes in, according to the book of uh, Ephesians 2 and the last two verses, that God would dwell in you by the Spirit as a temple. Amen? All right. So here it's not talking about the location up in the sky where when you die, you go and inherit. All those who are having hope of maybe the building mansions for them up in the sky, uh, they need to go back again and read the Bible and find other translations to compare the word mansion because the word mansion have nothing ever to do with the building. It has to do with rooms in the house of God. And the church is the house of God. Amen? All right. So here we find that Jesus was not promising anything up in the sky. Um, God was only trying to say, I'm going to have rooms where I will dwell in. That's what I was telling him. You know, telling the people. So what exactly, like we said, is the house of God, we know. Or Christ is faithful, we said that last week, according to Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 6. And we said that the Christians are God's house. According to the Living Bible translation, we Christians are the house of God. Amen. And to show us that when you say my father's house, it's not talking about physical building. Let's look at the book of Genesis chapter number 50 and we'll look at verse 22. Genesis 50 verse number 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's house. And Joseph lived the 110 years. Glory. He dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's house. So Joseph had a father's house. Just like Jesus had a father's house. But we do know that Joseph never carried the buildings of his father from wherever they were to Egypt. But what we say here, the relations of Joseph, the went to meet with him in Egypt. So father's house means a family. Amen? Joseph never carried any building and transported all the way down to Egypt. But this is a family. So we're saying the family of Joseph's father's house, they came to win where? In Egypt. That's all. Hallelujah. So, it's important when you study the Bible, you just compare scripture with scriptures, and then uh, it opens up. Praise the living God. All right. So that is just what it means to be in the father's house. And we also made it clear that Jesus said, he was in heaven while he was in Palestine. And I tried to explain something to you uh, in the first section of this study. One thing very unique about what Jesus said was that nobody had the fullness of God dwelling in him as long as the tabernacle in the wilderness was still standing. He alone had the fullness of God. But guess what? Let's take a look at that. Colossians 2 verse 9 and verse number 10. Colossians 2 verse 9. Amplified translation to give us a better understanding of what I have to say. Bright, thank you so much. You're going to be so sharp with this thing. All right. For in him, talking about Jesus. For in him, the whole fullness of deity. 
or the fundamental deity, divinity, dwelled in him. The Godhead, deity that to do with the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. The Godhead now speaking about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All of that were dwelling in him. Nobody have this. As long as the tabernacle was his standard. That's why he said no man has ascended up to heaven except the son of man who came down from heaven. Moses never got this. Enoch never had this. Elijah never had this. Are you getting it now? Right. This is what he meant to say. Nobody had access to this privilege that he had. So, he was God in the flesh. He had the, the Godhead resident within him while in the flesh. That's why he said, I'm in heaven. Which nobody had the opportunity of having. Look at the next thing now. And you, and this is so important to you and to me. And you, and in him, in who? In Christ, made full, and having come to fullness of life, in Christ, you too are filled with what? The Godhead. What's the Godhead? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And reach full spiritual stature and is the head of all rule and authority of angelic principalities and powers. Amen? And this is where people get it wrong when the world speaks of principalities and powers. They're only thinking about demons. No! He's talking about angels. Principalities and powers are actually referring to angels. What I mean because angels had authority. How many of you understand this? I'll try to explain that to somebody yesterday. According to Acts chapter 7, you see, it is made to understand that angels were the one that gave the law to Moses. God gave the ministry, uh, I mean, the, the law to angels, and angels gave them to Moses. So Israel was actually having very hard regard for the angelic ministry. I don't know if you're getting this. Yeah. So, that's why they are referred to as principalities and powers. Now, there is something you need to understand in relation to the law. The power of sin is the law. Therefore, he whoever ministers the law have authority. And not just that. This is why you find that when he went to the pool of Bethesda, he healed only one man. What was the reason? First of all, understand that if you go to that pool, you have to wait for angels to stir the water. So angels were the one to have authority and the power and the dominion to make healing available. So all Israel who were sick were waiting for angels to go and stir up the pool. So what did Jesus go there to do? He went to demonstrate that the time and the era of angel stirring up the water for healing is over. Are you following that? Praise God. So we have this opportunity or the privilege. That is why at this level, the angel, even the first Peter said that, second Peter, that angels are desiring to know about your salvation. It's difficult for them to comprehend that the fallen man in Adam is becoming a son of God. Angels are created beings. They have no understanding about redemption. So beholding you, prophets speaking about redemption that shall come through Christ. 
angels begin to peep and say, what is redemption is all about? What is salvation all about? It's a mystery that you are a son of God. They are amazed at who you are becoming by reason of Christ. Are you following this? And that is why you can't worship angels. They are rather your messengers. Because they are a son, but they are servants. Is that okay? Right. And so you will find out, they said, we have authority of, I mean, the rule of every angelic principality and power. Uh, you did a series on all of that recently. Those of you who have time, check the Facebook. And then you understand what principalities and power source about. It's not demons. The only thing we know about principalities and power is demons. How we're going to cast out principalities and powers and demons, whatever. That is not what the Bible is teaching when it talks about principalities and powers. It's talking about angelic ministry. It's talking about even men who are in authority and power, not demons. There's no scripture in the New Testament that will prove to you that principalities and powers means demons. It's not there. Ephesians 6, 12, go read it. Go check out what I posted on Facebook. Be able to see it wasn't talking about demons. Hallelujah. Most of those places was referring to uh, 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 the Jewish rabbis and all those men in authority. They were the principles and powers, not demons. Praise God. Hallelujah. So here the Bible is telling you, you the same authority that he had, the privilege he had in having the Godhead dwelling in him bodily, even so right now, we are also having the fullness of the Godhead, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit resident within us. Uh, I can speak a little bit on that, but let me not go there so that we can follow on. Hallelujah. Because you see, Father is, is, is a title, and, and, the, and, and the goal of Father is actually that which gives, it's a source, it's a source of supply. It gives direction. You understand what I mean? That's why I was saying, go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gives direction. Father is not the name of God. So, <laughs> hallelujah. Okay, let's just leave that. Praise God. All right, so, we want to go into, like, what I'm trying to say. Uh, what we have tonight primarily is that we want to do with the, the first heaven of God. Because we're dealing with the third heaven. So that means there are three heavens in quotes. So the question is, which one is the first heaven? Which one is the second heaven? And which one is the third heaven? He saw third heaven. You can't be talking about third heaven without the first or the second. The common understanding that I had as I was being taught in my early days was you have the atmospheric heaven, you have the heaven there, and then you have the third heaven. I don't know if that's what you know as well. So the great heaven from the atmospheric and <laughs> hallelujah. The second heaven is where demons and whatever are occupying. I don't know. And that is uh, the third heaven is where God is. That's what you know before, right? Excellent. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Let's do some work here. What is the nature of God? We already know that the nature of God is spirit, isn't it? Hallelujah. God is spirit. Do we believe that? Hallelujah. 
Therefore he can dwell. Now let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. I think I have something here to read. Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse number 5. Uh, so I look at these few scriptures. And then chapter 14 verse 25. Say, Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that yourself how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobate. You can have to look at that examination. He's saying Christ does what dwells in you. If you don't know that, he said you should examine yourself about that. So the re-examination is <laughs> am I convinced Christ dwells in me? And remember God is Christ in human form. Is that okay? Okay. First Corinthians 40 25. First Corinthians 40 25. And those are the secrets of his heart made. Now he's saying, okay, go back a little bit. Let's go to verse 23 to 25. I want to show you something. It therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues. And they're coming those in that in those that are on land are unfruitful. And there's unbelievers. We then not say that you are mad. That's all of what they're prophesying. Look at the next thing. But if all prophesy, and they're coming one that believeth not, or one on land, he is convicted of all. He is judge of all. What's the next thing? And those are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. You didn't understand that. First scripture we read this, examine yourself whether you are being the faith or crisis in you except you are reprobate. This scripture is saying when you start giving revelation and reveal the intents of the heart of men to them who are unbelievers, they'll fall down and say, God is where? In you. Hallelujah. Look at Deuteronomy 4, I mean 5 verse 4. 5 verse 4. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount in the mount of the midst of fire go down and see as to between the Lord and ye are the other time show yourself the word of the Lord for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not upon the mount saying I am of the Lord thy God we brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make other idols, whatever the case may be, all of those things. And they'll go ahead. There is something I'm looking for. Just go on. Thou shalt not bow down and self unto them, and so on and so forth. Just go down again, and they look at that. And show him mercy unto a thousand and fourth generation of the dead. But if you look at this scripture, go back to the top. What I'm really picking out is that. God said all of those things, but you saw no similitude. You never saw a figure 
That's exactly what I was trying to point out. If you go through it, you'll be able to see that. God spoke to you, spoke to every one of you, but you saw no similitude. That you saw no shape, no figure. You see, God only took shape in Christ. For John 4, verse 24, the Bible says, God is spirit. Praise the Lord. God is spirit. As of God is spirit, he has no shape. He took shape in a man called Jesus. By implication, here is the strength of this statement. If God is now dwelling in you, that means he's taking shape in you. Did you follow me? It means he's taking shape in your life. Praise God. So he has no shape, he has no form. Therefore, to imagine God looks like, or even go to the extent of describing his shape, is idolatry. That's what I was trying to say in Deuteronomy chapter 5. That is if it's idolatry. Praise the Lord. Here's the word of God will tell us in Isaiah 43 verse 10. Look at Isaiah 43 verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, say the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am here, before me, there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. No God formed. God have no form. Hallelujah. No God formed. And I want you to get that. Because it's important. So, in order to reveal himself, being spirit, in the nature of a form he came as Jesus Christ so we look at Philippians 2 verse, verse number 6 Philippians 2 6 and who being in what the form of God thought it not robbery to be what equal with God amen but for me there is no God formed but Jesus formed God. Now you can see that in John 1 verse 18. John 1 verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Take it from the Amplified Translation. The word declares, he made him known. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God. I want you to look at that. <laughs> Who in the bosom, in the intimate presence of the Father, he has declared him, he has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him. He has made him known. He brought him out where he can be seen. So the God that has no form 
in Isaiah 43.10 took form in who? In Jesus. Now guess what? Remember we said in the book of Colossians 2 that the God there was dwelling in him bodily. Is that okay? So his body was a form, the shape that God had. Now that same God who is spirit, who resided in Jesus by which he now made form of him or formed him and revealed him so that men can see him from being hidden is now resident where? In your life. So what is that supposed to mean? That means you are also forming God that men can see. By reason of the spirit, he has chosen you to be a place where he can also form himself. That is why Jesus is not just the only begotten son, but is a firstborn among many other brethren. So whatever he was, that is who you are. Scripture now says, as he is, so are we in this world. Are you there with me? And so, hallelujah. So when you reading for instance, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. What do you see there? Genesis 1 2. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon what? The face of the waters. I've, I've told you here, water speaks about people. Not the H2O. Amen. Praise the Lord. Water speaks about what? People. So here we find that God was trying to. Okay, let me show you. Just to prove that to you. Uh, go with me into Revelation 17. Look at verse 1 and verse 15. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vows and talked with me, saying unto me, Come thither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great hall that sitteth on many waters. Remember, his spirit blows upon the face of the waters. Look at verse 15 of this chapter. And he said unto me, The waters with thy sawest, where the hall seated, are what? People and multitude and nations and what? Thugs. So when he said in the beginning there was no form as it were and the spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. So prophetic of God revealing himself to humanity in that context. By implication God was not going to move upon humanity and make himself known to humanity. Not just that. That nation or man will begin to take shape. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, let me show you something along that line. Jeremiah 51 verse 13. Jeremiah 51 verse 13. Oh, that I dwelleth upon many waters. And bought that in treasure, thou and is the end is come, and the measure of thy covetousness. And he's speaking to a particular king. This is I'm sure 
King, King Babylon, right? But he says, set up on many water. In other words, it was control of many people. When you see like the prostitutes sitting up on many waters, here you see another king having dominion over many people. So water speaks of people. That's what I'm trying to make you understand. So, in other words, when God was now brooding upon the face of the earth, he was impacting intelligence to man. When he said the face of the waters, it speaks of the intelligence of man. Well, being lightened or enlightened by the spirit. When he said, let there be light. Amen. He meant that man receive his life, which is utterly Christ. Because there is no other light but one. Praise the living God. And so, in John chapter 1, verse number 4, what do you see there? John chapter 1, okay, let's read from verse 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word. What was the word? Let there be light. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Are you getting that? Okay, what's the next thing? The same was in the beginning was God. I mean with God. And it's all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was what? The light of man. Let there be light. Man. It was a broadcast to humanity to receive light. So everything you find in Genesis 1 was prophetic of what God intended to do. Praise the living God. So we find that Jesus is the light of the world. Like we know, when you talk about light of the world, it means the light of what? Humanity. So God's intention is that humanity receive his light, which has to do with his life. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Praise the living God. Well, let's see how God started. Let's take this scripture. Let me see what I have here. Jeremy 30 verse 20. Jeremy 30 verse 20. Deuteronomy 30, 20. That I mayest love the Lord thy God, and that I mayest obey his voice, and that I mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life. You can take this back to Colossians, I mean, forward to Colossians 3, verse 4. He is thy life. Are you getting that? Good. And he says, And the length of that days that thou mayest dwell in the life. Which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and who, and to Jacob. The world is your life. Okay, let's cap it up now. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. But don't forget this scripture. Deuteronomy 30, 20. Very important. When Christ, who is our life, remember, hallelujah, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with what? In glory. So the light that you have become, by implication, the light has been given to you, that has been broadcasted into your life, will finally blossom or come out within you. And this is actually putting on immortality. When the light shall appear, it's not appearing from outside, it's within you. You understand what I'm saying? 
Yeah, the light is not coming from outside of you. The light is within your being. A typical example of this is when himself demonstrated his light on the matter of transfiguration. I've given you that instant before. Amen? When the Bible said that his face was so glorious. Hallelujah. Even the raiment was put in on was bright as the noonday sun. That was a Christ that was resident in Jesus that was manifesting. And that's what he's saying here. When Christ, remember he didn't say the Jesus in you, he said the Christ in you is your life. And when that life is going to manifest, then shall we appear with you what? In glory. Praise God. All right. So, so let us get to the point where God begins to pull man, which is many few minutes, to himself. Uh, the first scripture I would like us to read here is the book of Exodus 25, 1 to 2. Exodus 25, 1 to 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that given it willingly with his heart, he shall take my offerings. There was something he wanted to do with his offering. Hallelujah. Just move on to verse 8. And then we're going to look at verse 9 and 10. Verse 8 said, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's what I want you to pick. Let them make me a sanctuary with these offerings that you're bringing. Praise God. Are you listening to me? Right. What is the purpose of the sanctuary? That I may dwell among them. That means God was not dwelling with them all this while. He just comes in, pick anybody he wants to use, manifest himself through that individual, show forth his power, but not residential. Did you get the difference? Yeah. He could come as a cloud, he could come and, you know, Protecting them from the wind, from the storm, whatever the case may be, but he was not residential. He comes in and goes. But he came to the point in Exodus 25 saying, oh, Tell them to bring me the offerings, the gold, silver, all of those things that I asked them to bring from Egypt. Let them bring it together now. And then you build me a sanctuary with it. Hallelujah. Build me a sanctuary with it. That I may dwell among them. So the purpose of the sanctuary is that God may dwell among his people. Did you get that? Praise the Lord. Look at verse 9. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Praise God. So here is the point. Look at verse 10. And they shall make an ark of sheet and wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the land thereof. And a cubic and a half of the bread thereof. And a cubic and a half the land thereof. They shall make what? An ark. That's the emphasis I want you to pick. So this passage shows us clearly that God desired to dwell among his people. And the only means by which that can be done 
is to put an act together. I mean the temple. Now, what was the purpose of that again? Let's look at that. Go with me to that same. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. Okay, go back a bit. Let's look at it from verse uh, 20. And the up. Oh, sorry. Take it from verse 18. There's something interesting I want to say. Talking about the earth. And I shall make two cherubims of gold, of beating wood, that shall make them in the two ends of the message seat. You know, message seat describing the ark. Is that okay? You have the message seat, you have two cherubim on top of the message seat. Listen to me. I said this to you some time ago. When you speak in Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You are describing this ark, the message and two cherubims on both sides. So in between is where you see where God dwells. And this ark was found where? In the temple. So look at the next thing. I make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end, even of the message shall ye make the cherubim of the two about end thereof. And the next thing says, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on, on high, covering the message with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. Did you get that? What was the next thing? And I shall put the message seat above the ark, and the ark shall pull the testimony that shall give thee. The next thing. And there will I meet with thee. There's a point I'm looking at. Where will he meet with you? On top of the master seat. In between the two cherubims. So here is the ark. Here is the master seat. And you have two cherubims. One on this side, one on the other side. Their wings touching each other. So from top of your hand in this quote, let's assume this is the wings of those cherubim looking down on the ark. In between these wings and the ark is where the glory was and that was God's presence. And he says, there will I meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the message from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment Unto where? The children of Israel. So that's the purpose of the ark. What is the purpose of the ark? God comes in there. Anytime God wants to talk to the children of Israel, his glory comes here. And then he talks to the priest or talk to Moses. Praise the living God. So what does the ark represent? It represents the presence of God. It represents the glory of God. Amen. So this is the first time that God has come down to that level to get close to mankind. When he spoke to them on the mountain, remember the mountain quake and all of those things. Is that okay? But here he built a tabernacle and he said, you come close enough. He's coming close enough to the people. He's coming to reside with the people. So where should be the first heaven of God? The ark. Praise the living God. That's the first place God revealed himself tangibly in closeness to mankind. 
Look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 3 and 4. 1 Samuel 4, 3 and 4. 1 Samuel 4, 3. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore the Lord smiting us today before the Philistines, let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of what? Of our enemies. What's the next thing? Verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring them, I mean, bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of us. We dwell it between what? The cherubims. This is, we dwell it. You can say, who dwell it between the cherubims? Amen? And the Bible says, and the two sons of Eli, Hophini and Phineas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Because they were the priests. In quotes. Is that okay? But what I want you to get from that verse 4 is, who dwell it where? Between the cherubims. So now, God was dwelling with man. You can understand later why in Revelation the Bible said the tabernacle of God is with man. That's the fullness. Praise God. And so the tabernacle now has the ark who was the dwelling place of God which accompanied the people in their journey. Praise the living God. Amen. And this was until the last temple that was built, which was actually the temple of Solomon, if you will. First King chapter 8, verse number 9. When you look at the temple. First King chapter 8, verse number 9. There was nothing in the ark save the two tablets of stone which Moses pulled there at Horeb. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of where? Of Egypt. So, when they build the tabernacle and they got the ark, they have to put the showbread, Aaron's rod, and the tablet of stone inside. But on top of it, was where they have the message seat and the two cherubim, where the glory of God manifests. And guess what? When you read the story in 1 Samuel, as soon as the ark appeared unto the temple, in this case, they were defeated. Because of, you know, when they said the ark was taken, and they're hoping the Athenians died, and then Eli fell backward and died. Is that okay? But anytime the ark comes in, when there's a warfare, the children of Israel will shout for joy that God has come. And Israel, I mean the Philistines themselves will be scattered. Because they always know that once God comes into the temple, I mean the midst of the people, then the war is against them. Are you following that? Praise the Lord. Yeah. So this was what was in the ark. I know that. Oh man. Look at the next verse. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled where? The house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. The house filled with the cloud of the Lord. 
So what do you find here? We begin to find that the first place that God dwelt tangibly, and I want you to understand that. God will be living. God is wherever he is supposed to be. But the very first place that God dwelt tangibly in the midst of humanity is the ark. Praise the Lord. And the ultimate purpose was to draw man to himself. Amen. He wanted to pull the natural man to himself. And do you think why I have to do this? Because natural man does not live by faith and live by senses. So his coming down is for them to be able to behold him. So that they can have that ultimate fellowship. So that they cannot keep on thinking that God is far away from them. That's why Moses will always say, Hey, you don't need to think about that. God is even in you. I mean, it's neither even in their mouth. Is that okay? But man lives by senses. But God here was intending to bring himself close enough to man. So that, in quote, it's like saying you can handle him. He didn't want to stay far away from man anymore. Praise the living God. So this is one of the reasons man in religious garb is still waiting for Jesus to come from the sky to rekindle their dead faith. Forgetting that Christ is now spirit. You know, that's, that's what we do. We're waiting for him to fly from the sky thinking that, well, that's the only thing that can... Yeah, when we see him. Hallelujah. Let me give you two scriptures in this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. We have for henceforth no wind, no man after the flesh. Yet though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth now no wind no more. Take it from the Abraham translation. Let's see what happens. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no man from a purely human point of view. In terms of natural standard of value. No. Even though we once estimated Christ from a human point, viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Okay. Look at Second Corinthians 3. Look at that. Take up the last two verses. Second Corinthians 3, the last two verses. Praise the Lord. 17, 18. Okay, that's, that's where we go. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Listen. Now, the Lord is that Spirit. When he said that is describing something. Look at this. In Joel chapter 2, like you find in our chapter 2, when Peter was speaking and he said, this is that which was spoken on the last day upon my spirit. As spoken by Joel. This is that. We are referring to a prophetic voice from Joel as to what God can do on the last day. Now the last day is not the last day of the earth Mind you The last day has to do with the end of the Old Testament And then the new one coming in Last day Days of the Old Testament Your last day was when you came into God 
Praise God. So here he said, now the Lord is that spirit. So what he's trying to say was, the spirit that came on the day of Pentecost is the Lord. Is that making sense to you? <laughs> if you can catch that, let me take you to Acts 2, 35, 36. The spirit that came on the day of Pentecost is the Lord. The Lord is that spirit that came on the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts 32. Therefore, let all the house of Israel. Okay, just go to verse 34. Let's take it down. We're going to stop here tonight. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit down on my right hand until I make thy foes thy foes too. Therefore, let, and I want you to get this, all the house of Israel know assuredly. That God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God has made, oh glory. Can you see that? And so in 2 Corinthians 3 now, I said, The Lord is that spirit. God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the Lord is that spirit. Is anybody following this? So, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about the Lord. He's talking about the Lord, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? The Lord. Who is the Lord? God. Mm. Hallelujah. So, we find out the ark the laws was only necessary because the children of Israel have lost their senses of spiritual worship while in Egypt are slaves. Therefore, they could not walk in the covenant that God made with their fathers. Are you listening to me? Let me get this to you and then we'll close for tonight. Genesis 15, that's a long reading. Oh... Uh, Look at 17. I think this one is shorter. 17, 1921. 17, 1921. Genesis 17, 1921. You can get it? Okay, 19. And God said, Sarah, the wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with the seed after him. Verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I've held thee, therefore I'll bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall, be, shall he beget and I will make him what? A great nation. The next verse says, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, with Sarah, shall bear unto thee at the same time next year. Praise the living God. Francis, this is part of what you were discussing with me, right? Okay. Now, the Bible tells us that he made this covenant. Okay, again, uh, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse number 1. Amen. 5, verse number 1. Perhaps we may not be able to round up with this. And Moses called all the children of Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statute and the judgment which I speak in your ears this day. 
that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. Now what I'm trying to make you understand is that God didn't say any of this thing to the fathers. Amen. How was how was Abraham working with God? How was Isaac working with God? Because when you talk about the fathers, you mean Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Praise the Lord. So you see, God never made his covenant. What I'm trying to say is this. Israel, we are so blinded when they came out of Egypt. Spiritually speaking. They were used to idols in Egypt. They were used to the God of the Egyptians. And so they had no faith in their sin God. Are you getting that? Good. So, having come to the wilderness, they still could not have faith in God, so God seems to okay, let me come down and make myself tangible before them, so that it can walk by sight, as it were, and not by faith. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now? So they are coming to place so that they can readily say, oh, where? That's why I discovered that every one of them are like going to the temple, because they feel that's where God is. They have their mind on God, they have their intention on God, and that's why I discovered that when Solomon built the temple, he told the people God, when he was praying, I said, God, anytime they pray, Wherever they are in the wall facing this temple, answer them. So, well, bring the direction and the mind of the people to the temple. And this is what formed the prayer of Daniel in Babylon. That anytime he wants to pray, we open this window to the east. Why? Because that's the direction of where? Of the temple. And the understanding was as long as I face the temple, God will answer me. Because your mind is, God is in the temple. So God made his same tangible before them because their mindset from Egypt was that of idolatry. They have no understanding of who God is. God walked with the fathers without a tangible thing. In fact, anytime God manifested himself to them, they would call a name, Jehovah Jerry. God has just showed up. You understand what I mean? Praise God. They, they named the place after what God have done. God always showed up. God always speak to them. I know that. Now Egypt have no understanding. Children of it have no understanding about that. So God said, okay, I'm going to make myself tangible to the people so that they can feel me, they can kind of, kind of see me, bring his glory down. You know, that is why you, for you, you don't need to see God before you believe God. You walk by faith and not by sight. Israel walk by sight and not by faith. Are you still there with me? Praise the living God. So there's a point. So what am I saying? The first place that God made his sent tangibly, visibly to mankind was through the ark in the wilderness. And so the ark become the first heaven of God. What I mean now is the place where God made himself tangibly visible to humanity. Hallelujah. Are you with me? So that is why it is the false heaven of God. Remember, we're dealing with the third heaven. So this is the false heaven. Next week, God willing, we'll be able to deal with the second heaven. And after that, we deal with the third heaven. And you will understand, by the time you go to that place, you will rejoice. Hallelujah. So this is the first physical representation of the invisible God. But the Bible says God have no form. Don't forget Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10 Say before me There is no God formed 
And Philippians 2 now says, Who thought himself not equal to be God? Man, a, he came in the form of God and thought himself not to be equal to God. But yet, he took on the form of God. Amen? The God that cannot be seen was seen in who? In Jesus Christ. If I may give you some insight, that simply means Jesus was the second heaven of God. Because that is the place again where God formed or took shape. Is it making sense now? Yeah. The first place God took shape or made himself tangible or visible to humanity was what? The ark. And so the children of Israel who could not see through, in quotes, by way of faith, unlike the fathers, God had to make something tangible for them to draw their attention you know, away from all that they saw in Egypt, all the gods in Egypt, and bring them back home so that they can have a relationship with him. So he made himself visible to them because they were walking by sight and not by faith. But for you, you are walking by faith and not by sight. So you don't need a tangible mankind to be able to know and see your God. Amen. Praise the living God. All right. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.